I'm currently job hunting. If you've ever had to search for a job in a market in which you know no one, then you know that it can be a struggle. While searching for a job today is much easier than when I was in my early 20s. I mean, I literally looked in newspaper classifieds back then. It can still be daunting. One thing that I've struggled with during my application process for many jobs is the question, am I qualified enough for this position? For some people, this would not pose a problem. Some people can sift through their early work experiences and effortlessly find parallels between what they have done and the expectation of the job. For others like me, who can't easily parlay my teaching experience into project management, which seems like a no-brainer, but it was super difficult for me to do this. We struggle. This for the ones who are doubted us, counted us out looking down on us. Flex, flex. This for the ones who are turning us acting like they never heard of us. Flex, flex. This for the ones who was laughing, you could never kill my passion. Yeah. Y'all be the reason we spazzing all gas, no lax. Yeah. This year I turned 40 is about a journey towards a magical and agitating age. Each week, I'll interview guests, we'll talk, learn a little bit, laugh a lot, and hopefully have a lot of fun. Thanks for joining me. And remember to like, review, subscribe, and find us on social media. I want to be as perfect as possible. In my personal experience, I suffered through extreme anxiety and also what I've come to know as imposter syndrome. I am a perfectionist and this perfectionism tends to hold me back and slow me down at times. I recently applied for a job that required me to complete a performance task. The task was straightforward and might have required about four pages of work. My completed document was 10 pages. Not only was it long and thorough, I might add, what I submitted was my second draft. The first draft was even more detailed than the second and went well beyond the task requirement. I wound myself up to make the task harder than it necessarily had to be because I wanted to perform well. And I tend to do this. And I think in my 40th year, it's time to stop driving myself crazy. In this show, I would like to explore perfectionism and how it affects people. I would also like to discuss how it affects women and girls in particular. I also want to examine how perfectionism affects people of color, and I honestly don't know where to begin with the topic. I recorded this episode back in May during Mental Health Awareness Month, but it wasn't quite ready for me to present at that time. And there's so much more that I've had an opportunity to think about in the last two months since the original recording date for this. So we are going to get right into this episode. Um, my friend Susan Warren is back. She is a licensed therapist with Cardinal Health in North Little Rock, Arkansas. 
And she was featured in episode nine, Acceptance Is, where we discuss the effects of discriminatory legislation against the LGBTQ plus youth and families, specifically in Arkansas, our home state. And the things that we should all first understand about these young people and their journey before we go passing laws that may harm them. If you have time, go back and take a listen to that episode and then come back to this one. Susan is a fantastic guest and I hope that I can say she is also my friend and I look forward to having more conversations with her in the future. But she's back right now to talk about perfectionism and help me to navigate what this actually is by filling in the gaps of information that I did not know and helping me to address the aspects of perfectionism that are affecting my life today. And I hope that it helps you. So let's jump right into it. Today, I am again with Susan Warren. Susan Warren has been a guest on my podcast before. She is a mental health professional. And um, today we're going to be talking about perfectionism. And perfectionism is something that I know for a fact that I am not the only person who deals with this. Um, But we're going to talk a little bit about what that is and how it relates to some other things that might be happening in our lives as far as mental health is concerned. Um, So Susan, say hello. Yes. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in and listening again. Definitely. Well, because you are my mental health professional on the on the podcast today, I want you to I would like for you to define perfectionism and what are some symptoms of perfectionism? Yeah. So when we think of perfectionism, you know, a lot of times in the mental health world, our brain goes to, is it a disorder? Is it diagnosable? And one thing I wanted to bring to listeners attention, you know, is that perfectionism is not on its own necessarily a diagnosis or a disorder. All right. It is like this multi-dimensional trait that people can have and they fall somewhere along a spectrum. All right. And when we think of that spectrum on one end, we have what's called maladaptive or unhealthy perfectionism. And on that other end, we have what's called healthy or adaptive perfectionism. And so perfectionism can be summed up as having high standards, high ideals for ourselves and our achievements, both in our personal world and in our social world. So a lot of times, TJ, when we're talking about perfectionism, there's really kind of two factors at play. And one of those are is an internally imposed perfectionism. You know, do I live up to my own personal standards, however high or low they may be? But then there's also externally placed perfectionism. Do I live up to what my parents want for my life? You know, do I match what my community's ideals and goals for someone like me is? And so perfectionism targets a lot for us, not only our achievements, but how we feel about those achievements, the energy and the mindset that we have going into those achievements. So let me ask you, so I, at the top of the show, I kind of, I talked about what I have experienced and part of my perfectionism is internal, like 
these are the things that I want myself to be able to achieve. But I feel that those internal, um, that internal perfectionism comes from or stems from society. Yes. Yes. I don't, I don't think I heard your question. I was just agreeing with you. Oh, well, so how do we know what's healthy and what's not, or what actually is internal or what is being imposed on us when it's not explicitly stated? Yeah. So that spectrum between, you know, healthy and unhealthy, adaptive and maladaptive, I looked up some research on this. And so one thing about perfectionism is because it is not, you know, an exact diagnosable disorder, like a generalized anxiety disorder or a major depressive disorder or obsessive compulsive disorder, it is really difficult to track down the exact interplay of perfectionism with other mental health things. And so we have to turn to research and what literature is saying, you know, from our sciences that are in the mental health world. And so one thing that they've talked about, you know, is that the difference between adaptive, healthy perfectionism and maladaptive, unhealthy perfectionism is that in both of those, there are high standards for ourselves and for other people, but in adaptive and healthy perfectionism, we are persistent in the face of adversity and conscientious about our abilities and what attainable goals are. And so researchers have found that with adaptive perfectionism and being able to healthily have, you know, high desire to achieve for self and being a motivated person, there's many more goal-directed behaviors and organizational skills than those that experience that really jarring, maladaptive, unhealthy perfectionism. And so it is really you know, kind of up to the individual to decide, TJ, you know, is this something that is healthy for me or unhealthy? Because all people that experience perfectionism, you know, we might procrastinate regularly because the thought of starting a task is so overwhelming. We don't know where to start or we're concerned with how we will do the task. You know, we struggle, we struggle to relax. Sometimes we struggle to share our thoughts or our inner experiences out of fear of being wrong or hurting somebody accidentally. You know, we also can sometimes feel extremely apathetic in an attempt to, you know, help us feel a little bit more okay about where we're standing in situations. And so I can't really say at this level, it's unhealthy. And at this level, it becomes more healthy because it's all about how you feel about yourself at the end of the day. You know, do you feel like you did an okay job, even though maybe you didn't meet your goals? Or do you feel like even when you met your goals, you could have done something a little bit better? Mm. So it sounds like there's a level of contentment that is connected to the adaptive perfectionism. Yes. Yes. And so one thing that I found really interesting in doing my research, which I have a list of sources to send to you so readers can read along. And if you want to, you can as well. Um, And the literature switch about, you know, 1996 to 2000s, you know, we used to say that perfectionism is a learned behavior, you know, something your parents or your family of origin gives to you and you go on to be either a high achieving adult or a low achieving adult. But researchers have more said that it's not so much a behavior as it is a learned way of thinking about yourself. Mm. And I think that sums up perfectionism so beautifully. 
Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so when we're thinking of this mindset that we have, you know, we have to realize that people who experience perfectionism at some point have this irrational desire to be perfect, you know, and I want to put perfect in quotation marks because we know that perfect is this construct thing that doesn't really have a lot of shape or form. And so it can be hard to attain that perfect mark. We also know that a lot of people with perfectionism experience a preoccupation with control, you know, so either controlling how this looks, what this looks like, (laughs) you know, and so there's a lot of things with perfectionism that come into, did I do this well? You know, is my self-worth, does it match? Does this achievement really embody what I'm all about? Or does it show that I'm just a massive failure and can't do anything? Oh my God. That that's me. <laughs> that is, especially when uh, uh, listeners, you didn't see this, um, but when she said um, what she said about control with perfectionism, it's about the person being able to have control over a situation. And that is totally me, especially with my children. I am very, um, I'm learning how to not be so controlling and allow them to be their own little human selves. Um, with the way that they do some things, but it is, I I do like to have control. And I like also to have um, consistency with things. So I have, I'm like Sheldon Cooper from Big Bang Theory. I have to sit in the same place. I have to um, go through the same rituals and routines in the morning and in the evening. And if any of that gets disrupted, um, it kind of throws off everything else that I do. So I don't know how connected to perfectionism that is, but yes, I do. I do yeah. have some of that. Yeah. So and something other, else. Oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, you know, another tenet of perfectionism that comes up that you're kind of talking about right now, TJ, is reminding me of, you know, the fancy word is kind of dichotomous thinking or black oh, and white yeah. thinking or yes, yes or no, all or nothing thinking. You know, and so being critical of self, you know, so being able to spot mistakes in moments of, you know, being imperfect and kind of summing that up as failing, not taking Mm -hmm. that as a moment, you know, a small mistake in this task or a small thing wrong with what I said, but going to that conclusion of, oh, I'm just terrible at this, you know, I'll never be able to do this. And so Mm -hmm. some of those routines, you know, they offer us comfort through the day. You know, or if our child, you know, is using glitter to decorate mm-hmm. something, of course, we want to step in to have control over that glitter, yes. you know, mm-hmm. but also because glitter can easily become, you know, a disaster area, yes. you know, and that's a problem. All right. In a perfectionist mind. And so a lot of control, a lot of that all or nothing kind of grounded. I either am perfect or I am not. And if I am perfect, maybe I still made mistakes somewhere. And if I am not perfect, then I am not perfect. And so that's the trap of this unhealthy kind of maladaptive perfectionism is that that goal line for perfection achievement continues to move away from us, TJ. Yeah. Well, how do you, there's something I want to go back to in just a moment, but I do want to ask this question. How does a person begin to train themselves to grow past that dichotomous, uh, did I say it right? Mm-hmm. 
dichotomous uh, yeah. thinking. Yeah. So it takes a person, you know, simply being aware of kind of how they're relating to the world and how they're relating to themselves. All right. And so we have a lot of theoretical basis in the mental health world. So we have cognitive behavioral therapy that we know targets perfectionism and can help with unhealthy thoughts about the self or negative self thoughts. Mm -hmm. We also know things like mindfulness can also mm -hmm. help helping people establish a more grounded sense of reality, being able to step outside of that all or nothing thinking. But, you know, going back to the thought that this is a learned way of thinking about ourselves. The beautiful thing is it can be unlearned. Mm -hmm. So it really takes a person understanding these things that interplay in themselves. And so I wanted to share a personal example that I experienced perfectionism through extreme procrastination. Mm -hmm. And that sounds kind of paradoxical. Okay. If I'm a perfectionist, then maybe I want to be on top of my game. I want to be early in what I'm turning in. You know, I want to be upfront, good to go. But when we think of procrastination, some things come into play. If I right. don't do it, then I don't have to think about it. Okay. I can think about doing it later. And that's a lot safer than trying to do it right. Then feeling right. so overwhelmed about the amount of tasks, my desire to be perfect, my desire to do it well, but also feeling like I'm not going to do it well. So put it off until the last minute. And this is kind of the secret kicker of procrastination is at this point, I've set myself up beautifully for any outcome. So if I have a paper due at 8 a.m. and I don't start until 10 p.m., if I get a 90% an A on that paper, I'll say, yeah, that's right. I can do a really good paper in a short amount of time. I'm so great at what I do, and this feels so good. Oh, and yeah. on the other hand, TJ, if I get a 60% or a 40% on that paper, uh -huh. well, I didn't start until 10 p.m. the night before. So that would make that would make sense of why I didn't do very well. Uh -huh. And so procrastination and perfectionism all get tangled up, you know, in putting off task until it is safe to do it, but not really safe because we're frantic and it's last minute. Wow. I've never considered that because I did everything in college, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at the end, I mean, just like days before these things were due. I mean, even I, you know, we just celebrated the fact that I passed my capstone project yes. for my, my graduate uh, program. And I'm going to be real with you. I threw that thing together in like a week. I mean, I did like little pieces of it here and there, but I mean, really getting down to the nitty gritty of, okay, you know what? I have to hammer this out. I'm going to get it done. And even before I checked my score, you know, when you and I got on the phone and you reminded me, well, I should go and check my score. I was already telling you, I think it's going to get kicked back because of this, that, and the other. And then I passed and I'm like, yes. oh, yay, I passed. Yes. But if it got kicked back to me, exactly what you just said. Oh, well, I forgot to do this, this, and this. And so they picked up on it. So I know what I have to do now. Yes. And you felt, you felt so safe regardless, because you knew all of the outcomes that could happen. Exactly. Oh and my God. I never thought about it like that. Yes. The more we think about procrastination, the more we're like, oh, this is a rabbit hole <laughs> into so many other things. Oh my God. I, okay. You just blew my mind. <laughs> I never thought about the safety factor in that. Oh, so I wanted to go back to what you were saying about, um, 
you said something that made me think of the growth mindset. Mm-hmm. And I think it was when you were talking about adaptive mm-hmm. perfectionism. Yep. And it made me think about the growth mindset. And, you know, the growth mindset is where you um, basically have the I can and I will attitude. Um, so it seems like adaptive perfectionism is connected to that, which is something that we want to teach children as a teacher. You know, we go through so many trainings about growth mindset. So that seems very connected. Is that, does that seem about right? Yeah, totally. And I love that you brought that up TJ, because another way that we can kind of compare those two ends of this spectrum is that in adaptive perfectionism and in that growth mindset, it's not only about the achievement at the end, but it's about the journey to get there. Mm-hmm. All right. If we have extreme perfectionism, very rigid perfectionism, that maladaptive, unhealthy, it's about that achievement. Did we right. meet our goal or not? Not mm-hmm. how we met it, not what it felt like to meet it. Not if we were challenged, not if it was easy, if we met it or not, which okay. takes us back to that black or white thinking takes us back to that kind of learned way of thinking about the self. And so in that growth mindset, it is all about, did I meet my goals? Because that feels good when we meet our goals, Mm -hmm. but how did it feel when I met my goals? What could Mm -hmm. I do differently? What was I proud of myself for? What do I feel like I can improve on? And not letting that take away from the fact that we did meet our goals. Right. So it's a difference between celebrating the journey versus celebrating the win. Yes. Okay. Excellent. So let's see, let's talk about um, some statistics, the statistics about um, perfectionism because I, so for my capstone project, I did work with students and on one day, I started teasing the students about um, not talking. So we did this all over Zoom. So all of you teachers out there who for the last year and a half have been teaching students via Zoom, I commend you and I bow to you if you had any success with that because it is hard. And I learned that firsthand with this project uh, that lasted about four weeks. But I was teasing the students and three of my students who were girls all talked about how the, they do not like to talk on the Zoom call because they're so afraid of saying something wrong that it freezes them up. And they, they were really nervous about the project that we were working on because they didn't want to fail. And that's what made me want to, to do this. So is there a link between, um, I don't know, perform, uh, female performance and male performance in school, like uh, among youth mm-hmm. with perfectionism. Um, is, there, are there, is there any data that connects that? Yeah. So, you know, unfortunately, it's kind of fortunately and unfortunately, the data that we have is a little bit dated from what I could mm-hmm. find in our research databases, or even when I went through some old college textbooks that I have, you know, the most recent data was probably from 2015, 2016, which doesn't seem that long ago, but generationally speaking, and you know, the impact of children speaking, that is a little bit more of a gap than I would like to report for statistics. Um, And another difficulty with this 
TJ, is that because we don't have like a perfectionist disorder, you know, or we don't have a diagnosable category, it is difficult to capture this because in the mental health world, it is called a construct. All right. And so basically not something that is easily measured and something that we have to create a um, questionnaire or a way to measure perfectionism. Okay. And so the way they have done this, I wanted to highlight these six elements again, which we've talked about today, but because we're talking about the data, I wanted to be thorough and kind of how they measured this. Um, But this research was from um, a couple of different people. So I have those lists, but you know, we have Ping and Wright from 1994 and we have DiMaggio from 2016 and 2018 are kind of all saying that there are kind of six elements of perfectionism that if we ask people about, we feel like it's a good judge of their perfectionism level within their minds. So the first one is high standards for performance, negative reactions to perceived punishments for errors, feelings of inferiority when anticipating an error, negatively perceiving family or your peers' critiques of your flaws, doubting your own performance, and then concerned with organization and order. So basically they ask people, where do you feel like you fall on these things? And then they judge that. And so an issue with this is when I read the study, they did not give me exact percentages Okay, but they did kind of sum it up in where everybody falls. And so this study um, measured Asian Americans, um, South Americans, African Americans, and white Americans. Mm -hmm. And so they basically asked them to go through this survey. They found, and this was a huge study, you know, there was 25,000 people in this study across all age groups. All right. And so I really wish I could find those numbers to help break it down. Um, But they found that um, Asian Americans, those who identify as Asian Americans, um, possess excessive amounts of perfectionism behaviors, Mm -hmm. but do not experience the same type of suicidal ideation or depressive uh, symptoms as white Americans. They found that Asian Americans have extreme concerns about meeting um, family standards or external Mm -hmm. standards. Um, They found that African Americans significantly reported higher scores on parental expectations and that external perfectionism that is placed on us, Mm -hmm. but did report less perfectionism over concern of past mistakes or concerned of how their past would be perceived in the future. We found that African-American girls between the ages of 11 and 14 report the highest, most significant uh, perfectionism behaviors when compared with their peers of white girls or Asian-American girls. We also found that South African, Black and white and Asian students um, out of that group, we found that Black women had the most significant perfectionism scores compared to all of those cohorts. Um, There was another really beautiful study that looked from 1986 to 2016 at a college kind of measuring perfectionism scores, um, and it has only increased every generation they have done this study. Students having an increased desire to be perfect, feeling as if they do not meet that. And so again, I could not say, you know, 27% out of you know, the 50% that were Black Americans experienced 
perfectionism tendencies, but Mm -hmm. this very clearly is showing that people of color and minority groups experience perfectionism in a different way than white Americans do. Mm -hmm. And especially when we break it down into that adolescent age, you know, that 11 through 14. Right. So in May of 2021, Naomi Osaka made headlines as she put her mental health before her career as a tennis star. The 23-year-old biracial Japanese woman who, at the time of her withdrawal, was ranked number two in the world, withdrew from the French Open, citing long bouts of depression as the major reason for her choice. I do not really follow sports, but I know who the Williams sisters are. And I also remember in 2018 when Osaka won against Serena Williams during the tennis Grand Slam here in America. She was just 20 years old when she played against the icon Serena Williams, who was the favorite to win that match. The crowd was not on her side, and even after Williams supported her and consoled her and asked the crowds to be kind and to honor her win, Osaka still seemed to not fully take her bow. In articles I looked up, 2018 was said to be the impetus of her depression, and I can't help but to think, that at that moment in September of 2018, she felt like an imposter. The way that match went would have rattled me at 20, and I can't help but to wonder if at the end of every game that followed, she wondered if she earned it or if it was given to her. I would say that this is the negative side effect of perfectionism. Osaka is obviously a great tennis player and she is still young and she has so much more to provide the world with her talent, just like the Williams sisters did when they were her age. But that moment in September 2018 robbed her of something that allowed her to have the drive and to have the ambition that she had once before. So it makes me think, or it makes me wonder what is happening in the adolescents, especially since I'm a black woman, black girls, and I have a a black daughter, um, well, biracial daughter, um, between 11 and 14, I wonder what is happening there that is causing them to, to feel that way. And then um, I, it is interesting to know the facts about the Asian uh, population or Asian American population, because I, I would assume that they would have perfectionism, especially the adaptive perfectionism. And that's, but that assumption is based on stereotypes of Asian Americans. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and I've been listening to like Mark, Margaret Cho, Uh, has a podcast and I've been listening to her show and I've been following some other Asian Americans who talk about how they aren't perfect and they do not try to live up to those same um, standards that, you know, most Asian Americans seem to 
um, live up to are, are those stereotypes that we may have about their community. So that is very interesting to hear and good to hear that it's more of an, on the positive trend than the negative trend. Mm-hmm. Um, as a black woman, I feel that some of the things that may trigger perfectionism in me is my perception of how the world perceives me. Um, so I, I, I can't say that that is what other black women experience, um, but I do feel that way. I do feel like I have to be, and I was taught, you know, you have to be better, you know, you have to be 10 times or two times as better to, um, to be considered, you know, as good as your white counterparts. Um, so that's one of those external factors I feel that that plays on the internal motivation for perfectionism. Yeah, you know, and I think this shows, you know, while we both experience perfectionism, TJ, like they manifest in such different ways for you and I, you mm-hmm. know, because growing up, I was never told that I needed to be better. You know, I was told I needed to be the best that I could be or improve in some ways, but I didn't have the same life narrative as you did, you know, which none of no two people have the same life narrative as one another, but this demonstrates how different perfectionism can come up and can manifest between individuals. You know, even if we have things that are similar, you know, both being women in kind of interested in mental health, you know, interested in giving back to younger generations and also both women, you know, Mm -hmm. but we experience perfectionism in so many different ways. And so there is this concern with, you know, how do others perceive me? Because we base our perception of ourselves off of that. Right. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So as a mother, when I think about my daughter, so I took her out of public school because during the pan- the beginning of the pandemic, when all the kids came home, I realized while she was at home learning that there were a lot of struggles um, for her. A lot of things that she struggled with um, were due to the fact that she has ADHD and that wasn't diagnosed until uh, a- April mm-hmm. of 2020. And so once we got that diagnosed and I started helping her with her schoolwork at home, I realized that she was going to have some struggles in a public school setting if we didn't develop some habits and things at home. And I struggled with not putting my perfectionism on her because I I know and I understand that she has ADHD, but I still get triggered when she moves slowly or when she daydreams or um, when she uh, says that she doesn't know how to do something, even though maybe 10 minutes later, I mean, 10 minutes before she did the exact thing that she needed to do um, at that present moment. So what are some things that I should be doing with my daughter knowing her struggles to keep her from having the same perfectionist or perfectionism tendencies that I have. 
Yeah. So I really love this question. Something about my work is if um, I'm seeing a child, you know, or a young person, I love to have their families come in, you know, and those adults that are responsible for them to really help because we don't, you know, exist in small places. And so that's incredible that you're already kind of understanding, you know, this happens for me and I don't want to put this off onto her because it's coming from me, you know? And so acknowledging that is always like our best superpower that we can have, because now we can say, I need to take a break, you know, okay, we're done for homework (laughs) for 10 minutes, go over there, we'll come back, you know? And so parenting through modeling is a beautiful way to help our children understand themselves, but then also understand their place in the world. And so there is nothing wrong, you know, with saying to your child, you know, this, you know, has been overwhelming right now trying to help you because I want you to do well, but I want you to feel like you're doing well too. And I don't know if you feel that way. So not so much about me, but saying, you know, I'm not frustrated at you. I just want you to do well. And that's what that is coming from. Mm-hmm. you know, or taking a moment to let them know, you know, we don't value you based on what you can do, but mm, it's yes. how you do it. Okay. If you're struggling in school, that's okay. But we want you to come to us and feel comfortable in telling us because we're here to help. Mm-hmm. All right. If you feel like we are putting too much pressure on you, try to let us know if you can, you know, because right. we're not here to put our stuff onto you. We're here to lift you up, you know, and empower you as our young daughter in this case, but young child in maybe other cases. And so really sitting with them, because as you've seen, you know, ADHD, you know, is not something that your daughter chooses to have, or that your family chose to give her. It is just how things happened. And so equipping her and saying, you know, mom struggles with stuff like this too. And this is what helps me, Mm -hmm. you know, what do you, what do you think we could do for you right now? Right. You know, and so I know that takes a child that can kind of tell you internal processes of what's going on and their thoughts and their feelings and what's going on for them. But even at a young age, you know, children are little sponges. They can pick up on everything. They Mm -hmm. pick up on, is mom here to help or is she here to do things for me? You know, are they going to listen to me when I say this? Are they just going to tell me to get my work done? Right. Yeah. And so modeling that you know, as a family, we care about the process of things and not the end goal. Yeah. And that, that is what I have been working on for sure. And I have empowered her almost annoyingly (laughs) to tell me, you know, how she feels in a moment. So she does let me know, you know, you're not being helpful right now, mom. And I'm like, okay, well, let me walk away. Um, As soon as I see your pencil moving, I'll move. You know, Mm -hmm. I'll go away and I won't come back. Um, But we have been having more conversations and she does let me know what she needs or what she does not need. But I, I do have to continue to work on walking away and also um, not putting my standard on her. I did, I think about three weeks ago, I emailed her teachers and said, look, you know, I am getting ready to complete a project and Olivia is struggling with X, Y, Z. We will do all of the work. We will get it turned in by the end of the school year. It just may not be turned in by the deadlines that you've set. And Mm -hmm. I'm not going to push her and I'm not going to 
um, basically, I'm not going to put a lot of pressure on her to meet your standard. Yes. It will get done, but I'm not doing this. And they were agreed, they agreed with me and they said, that's okay. Cause they know what her struggles are. Um, and they said, well, it will affect her grade. But at this point she's in second grade. I don't really care about her grade. I just care that she's learning and absorbing the information to continue to use it versus, you know, forgetting everything once we're done. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, as we go into our adult lives, you know, in our young adult lives, you know, at the end of the day, whether we achieved a goal or not, it's just the start of the conversation. Mm-hmm. you know and so what a beautiful skill you're equipping with your child even now you know no no it doesn't matter what grade we get at the end of this school year it matters you know if we did the work if we communicated how we got the work done so I know right now it may be like the daily battle between getting work done and not getting work done but she mm-hmm. is learning you know and you're giving her that foundation you know yeah. that I don't fail just because I don't finish something on time due to somebody else's standard. Exactly. And I, that's what I want her to be able to, when she does go back to public school, I want her to be able to go back with that. Plus the ability to advocate for herself. Yes. Because a lot, I see a lot of kids who struggle with um, communicating with their teachers. And so sometimes as a classroom teacher, I experienced a lot of uh, the student just not doing the work. And even if I've given other opportunities, that deadline for some reason is really stifling for them. Um, so something that I would change going back into the classroom would be to have flexible deadlines because I don't want to put constraints on students that make them suffer. The whole point of learning, it's supposed, it's supposed to be something that makes life better eventually, not, you know, purgatory. Yeah. <laughs> school yeah. shouldn't be purgatory. Yeah. Which school is where we're learning, you know, and if we don't mm-hmm. have the option to say, I need an extended deadline, or I need this to be changed into a different format, or I need help, then, you know, I don't know if we're learning how, we do things or if we're learning, you know, how to do things, if that makes right. sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Since perfectionism is not a diagnosable disorder, it's a construct, um, which I learned today. Um, what are some things that it is connected to? Like, I know, you know, for me, I, I mentioned depression. So what are some things that are uh, connected to perfectionism if it's left, if it's that maladaptive perfectionism? Yeah, uh, perfectionism, you know, we say it has a causal role in mental illness, which means that we cannot exactly track among different mental illnesses when perfectionism occurs, if perfectionism is a driving force in that mental illness, um, or even if it is a standalone facet of somebody's mental illness. And so what I mean by that, TJ, is I mean that perfectionism comes up in all mental illnesses pretty much, but researchers to this day, we haven't been able to say, if you experience this type of perfectionism, you will have depression or Uh a personality disorder, or because you experience OCD, you experience perfectionism. 
researchers right now are kind of suggesting that this perfectionism is this learned way of viewing the self and thinking about the self that Mm. can become maladaptive, which leads to mental illness Mm. or the opposite of that, because it's causal mental illness could happen. Somebody could be depressed and could develop perfectionism tendencies in their way of thinking about themselves. And so when we talk about this, you know, there are a couple of disorders that have been kind of highlighted as yes, we know that perfectionist tendencies definitely happen in these, but researchers are very clear that this is not an all encompassing list or something that we can say, if X, then Y, you know, if Y, then X. So we know that those who experience eating disorders have a heightened level of perfectionism based on their body image and based on their self-worth. So a lot of times Mm -hmm. in eating disorders, people um, will kind of have a running list of if they should eat or not based on what they achieved that day. Right. We also know people that have anxiety disorders, and those might be, you know, social anxiety. So agoraphobia or paranoia of other people. We also know obsessive compulsive disorders also experience those really heightened levels of perfectionism. Okay. So perfectionism is, has also been seen to come into play with depression and suicidal ideation. And so here I want to highlight that this is a good way that we can see kind of the causal relationship is that if somebody has a perfectionist tendency, you know, that is maladaptive and unhealthy, we can see pretty easily how they would develop that low self-worth and that low motivation to do tasks that is so, um, you know, what we think of when we think of depression. Okay. And so that perfectionism tendencies start, and then we go through life and we just kind of develop a depressive state or a depressive mindset, a depressive disorder from that perfectionism. Whereas if I experience something in my life or I become depressed, that perfectionism will come up again. And we can say, you know, I do have low self-worth because I haven't completed these things, or I know I can't complete these in the way that I want. And I don't feel great about myself. And so Mm -hmm. even in depression, the water gets really muddy right then. It gets really kind of cyclic in a pattern that happens. Um, We also know that with the research that we have on perfectionism, TJ, that people who don't even have a diagnosable mental illness can experience truly unhealthy levels of perfectionism. And so perfectionism comes up not only in our achievements, you know, we've been talking a lot about academic achievements right now, but perfectionism can come up in our relationships with other people, whether they're platonic, professional, or romantic, you know, am I enough for this person? Did I say the right thing to my friend when they were hurting? Do my coworkers like me or am I, you know, the annoying person they don't want to come into the office at the day? Okay. And so all of those are kind of different across the spectrum. We know obsessive compulsive disorder also has perfectionism tendencies. And whether that is because, you know, the nature of somebody that experiences obsessive compulsive disorder, um, you know, that control in that desire in that pool to engage in their soothing task, you know, that can set someone up for perfectionist thought. Did I complete what I needed to today? And if not, then I am a failure. Then I did not meet my goals. 
And so when we're talking about this, it can be really hard to say somebody who is depressed experiences perfectionism because they are depressed or because they have a perfectionist mindset or because of something else, because of the interplay of how our brains work and how we create our self-image. Interesting. So having a healthy self-image can actually, or is actually something that is necessary to being able to overcome or even not deal with the struggles of being a maladaptive perfectionist. Yeah. So if healthy self-image is one way to overcome maladaptive perfectionism, what are some other things that will help us to be able to turn the, um, turn the tide, so to speak, on that negative perfectionism? Yeah, so this takes a lot of personal work for an individual. And we have to kind of sit with the fact that everybody does have a different upbringing and different ways of thinking about the world and thinking about themselves, some of which they can create, but a lot of which when they are younger is given to them by those people that they live with, their immediate families, the adults responsible for them, kind of that family of origin that we've talked about before. And so it does take an individual kind of creating their own narrative about themselves, which, you know, I don't want to say is easy to do because some people's narratives have been shifted and colored by other people or, you know, the stereotypes and biases and prejudices that we have in our world that can, you know, people can internalize that. You know, if that's what we tell them all the time, then that's what they will view about themselves. So I don't want to say that this is personal work and people think that it is easy work because it takes unlearning. You know, what were my standards of achievement when I was younger and what does that look like now? It takes saying, you know, what am I happy with at the end of the day, even if I'm unhappy about the outcome? Right. That takes work in acceptance, which we've talked about before, but that takes work in, you know, a grounded self-image, like a realistic self-image that even if I do something perfectly to the best of my abilities, at the end of the day, there will still probably be something that I Mm -hmm. say, "Mm, I could have done that better. And so here's, here's the trick with that is if I am somebody that has unhealthy perfectionist tendencies, I might say, well, that's ruined. If I just did that one thing better, this would have been absolutely perfect. And it's not perfect now. If I have that kind of growth mindset, that positive perfectionist, you know, that healthy perfectionist, you know, I can say, oh, I'll keep that in mind next time. So when I can do this again, I will do it even better. And not letting our whole day or our whole achievement be colored by the fact that maybe we could have done something better. Right. You know, because I think something scary about life is we always have that, you know, potential to do something different in a better way, in a way that is different than how we did it. And that can be scary at times, or that can be threatening to the work that we did. Right. And so it takes that, but, you know, TJ, it also takes, you know, creating some boundaries around your self-image and your self-worth. You know, and so, so, so often we are, you know, very social creatures. That is why COVID-19 and 2020 pandemic has been so absolutely heartbreaking and painful is the one thing we wanted to do is to sit with our close friends and our loved ones 
And that was the one thing we were told was most unsafe not to do. Don't even think about it. Okay. And so it really takes us taking, you know, those external pressures and deciding where does that fit in my life? Do I have room for that? How am I going to carry this? You know, does it fit for me? And if not, how do I make peace with that? And that can be challenging because sometimes when we feel like we're putting boundaries up, we feel like we might be closing people off or we might be telling people, you know, we don't accept you or we don't want that. But this work is all about making sure that at the end of the day, even if you did fail, you can feel positive about what you did. Right. So kind of like going back to my capstone, having the understanding, you know what, I did it and may come back to me. And this is what I'll change when it comes back versus, or even the fact that, you know, the project didn't go the way that I wanted it to, but I, I know now what I will do differently in the future. So I'm not living in that failure. I'm learning from it and applying it positively so that it will affect the future. So yeah, and I can that, see the difference in that. Yeah. And that takes a lot of work to be able to sit with that. I did this yeah. thing and I put a lot of energy and maybe I'm not the happiest with it, but I did it. So I should be happy about that. Mm-hmm. You know, that does take a lot of work and that takes a lot of feeling safe about ourselves to explore some of that. Definitely. So I, I'm happy to note that I am not a maladaptive perfectionist because if I were, I would be just living in the moments that did not go quite the way that I wanted them to. But I know in my history that I have at one time, or at some times or some points, especially when I taught at, um, I taught at UCA and I was so critical of myself because everyone was so critical of me. So I yes. really was trying to like live up to a certain standard. And it's, it's made me to the uh, think that when I do go back to teaching, if I teach in higher ed, I don't want to do so without a PhD. Yeah. Because for some reason, gray hair and PhDs make people listen to you. So that is interesting. Yeah. Okay. So as a teacher, what are some things, because my age demographic that I work with um, will be um, seventh graders through 12th grade. What are some things that I could look for in those students if they're presenting some of these characteristics of yeah. perfectionism? Yeah. So some things that you might see, you know, observable signs that somebody is struggling with perfectionism internally, TJ, um, you know, some of these are going to be a little bit more difficult to see because it requires talking to them and really listening Mm -hmm. to them in moments that, you know, I know teachers don't have that much time to listen individually to each and every student. Um, So I'll I'll name a lot, but it does come down to really paying attention to, you know, how are they feeling about their work? or their achievements, whether those are achievements within their social groups, athletic endeavors, you know, musical or art-based endeavors, or even that academia like school-based assignment. And so if someone has really high goals, but they're also really critical of themselves and spot mistakes in those imperfect moments easily, you know, that might be sign of somebody dealing with perfectionism. 
You know, if people seem like they're pushed towards a goal, not to attain the goal, but in fear of not reaching the goal, that might be a sign of somebody dealing with perfectionism. You know, if somebody deals with that, you know, procrastination, you know, like day in and day out and they get stuff done, but you can just tell maybe this was last minute or they make jokes that they do everything last minute, you know, Mm -hmm. that might be indicative of perfectionism thinking, you know, Mm -hmm. if somebody has difficulty accepting, you know, even positively constructive criticism. If yeah. it's just con- criticism at the end of the day, that might be a sign of that perfectionist thinking, you know, if people have low self-esteem, you know, and they isolate themselves and they say, well, I'm not good enough for other mm-hmm. people, you know, or I'm not correct, or I'm not right. That can also be a sign of perfectionist thinking. But as mm-hmm. I, but as I named those TJ, I'm sure your brain was kind of like, wait a second, those are so many other things that could be happening there, mm-hmm. you know, we haven't talked about somebody's home life at the end of right. the day, which is a huge, huge predictor, you know, and how they achieve at school and with their friends. But mm-hmm. we haven't talked about, you know, nutrition, you know, how are mm-hmm. children eating if they are eating, which all impacts this stuff as well. And so just because someone is struggling with something that might look like perfectionism, you know, it might just take having a conversation, you know, how are things for you? Right. How, are, how are things at home? You know, I know I'm here to teach, but I'm also here to support at the end of the day with right. whatever you need. I want to bring attention to that in our young people, sometimes, you know, we as adults have real fancy brains that sometimes send us to like really dark places and then really light places about all the mm-hmm. things that have happened in our life. And we're like, oh yeah, that makes sense based on what happened when I was six years old, you know? children, you know, don't have that same life knowledge or that book about ourselves that you right. do, DJ. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times in my experience, you know, people with perfectionism have a lot of somatic complaints. And so those are going to be physical things that happen that may not look like perfectionism that may not mm-hmm. be easily trackable to a thought process or a thought cycle. And so, for example, if somebody becomes sick to their stomach, and, you know, needs to go to the bathroom to relieve themselves, that might be, you know, especially if that's before a performance test. So Mm -hmm. an athletic game, a music performance, a big exam, or speaking in front of people, you know, that could be sign of perfectionist thinking. And Mm -hmm. now they're not necessarily able to say, oh, I feel like I'm going to fail, you know, so my stomach is upset and I'm feeling nauseous. But there's so much going on. People are so overwhelmed. You know, our nervous system has all of our flags going off. Right. That is how their body communicates to them. Yeah. All right. And so other, uh, yeah, other physical symptoms, you know, um, body aches that do not kind of match um, where you think a body would ache. So of course, if somebody is like running, you know, they're in a basketball gym and their legs hurt. We can't say your legs hurt because you're a perfectionist. You know, maybe you had a hard basketball workout, right? But if you are, you know, healthy and you are taking care of yourself, but you have a lot of neck pain or a lot of pain, like in your lower back or your hips, you know, especially our younger people in school, you know, that's Mm -hmm. kind of all indicative that something internally is going on, you know, maybe through our rigid kind of perfectionist thinking way of thinking about ourselves. We're just tense all the time. So our muscles hurt. Mm-hmm. Or I work so hard that I forget to eat. And so then I have a headache and I feel drained because I'm so focused on this task. I can't think about anything else. Yeah. 
you know, and so, um, this other one can be a little dicey, um, but asking or relying on other people for assurance in times that assurance may not be needed. Mm. So I have, um, a personal example that I can give you. Um, I have had a lot of experience like in the kitchen and working in restaurants and being around food. And I feel like I know the science around food. Um, but I feel like I'm not like a perfect cook, you know, sometimes Mm -hmm. things don't go right or the way I cut things like doesn't work out or at the end of the dish, I'm always like, I could have done that better. And any time, you know, I eat something, you know, I'll put it in my mouth and I'll taste it and I'll kind of do like a little happy dance. Like, yes, this tastes so good. I did a good job. If somebody else says, oh, Susan, this is delicious. Like, this is so good. It takes me a moment that I just almost don't believe them. You know, it becomes suspicious. I'm like, maybe they're saying that because it's so bad, but they want me to feel good about what I did. And so when they say, no, this is delicious, you know, in that moment, my perfectionist brain has been soothed, Mm -hmm. even though on the outside, it shouldn't look like I need that level of assurance because of my experience and because of how confident I feel personally. But even in that moment of cooking, that outside assurance, you know, kind of pops that bubble. I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. Okay. Yeah. You know, I've worked in restaurants before. Like someone would have told me I was not a good cook right? for this point in my life. Wow. I connect to that so much. Yes. I understand that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which so much, so much goes into cooking, you know, it's not yeah. only a task that we do, you know, but it's a time of like connectivity with other people. And in some mm-hmm. ways, you know, it's like a gift that you offer people. Yes. That makes us vulnerable. That makes us vulnerable. We want to have control. You know, how brown are my veggies? You know, what is the temperature of my meat? If it's Mm -hmm. off at all, you know, this could be a disaster. Yeah. Well, and for me, it's not making food for other people, but making cocktails for people. Yeah. Okay. That's kind of my, my hobby. And it's something that I like to do with in my community. Um, And so when someone tries something new that I've made, I'm always like, it's not really good. You're just saying that like, it's, you know, not, not believing their compliment because especially if my husband made a sour face when he tried it, Yes, but he doesn't like sweet drinks and the women that I socialize with like sweet drinks. Yes. Yeah. I, I connect with what you just said completely. (laughs) Yeah. And so you asked me kind of about what are signs people can look at, you know, but if someone, even if they're doing well, seems like they might be struggling internally or, you know, those somatic complaints, or you just see maybe something is off, Mm -hmm. you know, in that moment, talking to them, you know, and what you said, TJ, you know, lots of things can relieve this kind of perfectionism, like maybe giving them a couple of extra days to work on it. Right. Or saying, you know, if you're working on it late at night, you can email me, you know, and I'll push pause and we can talk the next day. You know, don't feel mm-hmm. like you're going to fail because you can't finish it. And it's 2.30 a.m., you know, because I'm not going to respond at 2.30 a.m. Right. We can come in the next day and figure something out. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And, and what I'm hearing mostly from all of the things that you've told me that I could watch out for in my students what I'm hearing from you is that a relationship with them beyond just here's your work, do it, you know, here's what I'm teaching you, do it. But having a relationship with the student as a, a teacher slash mentor slash coach 
you know, who understands and sees them as a person is necessary in order to pick up on these things, whether it's perfectionism or not. Um, but that's really necessary. Yes. Yes. That is so necessary, whether these children are, you know, our biological children, our chosen children, you know, mm-hmm. temporary children, or if they're the children that, you know, they create our job in our workplace. Right. Excellent. Okay. We're down to my favorite part of the show. And you've played this game with me before. And so yes. we're going to play it again. And uh, this time we are focusing on celebrities who are perfectionists. If you are new to my show, at the end of every show with my guests, we play a game called Live With, Drink With, Travel With, or Travel With, Drink With, Live With, depending on what order I put them in, but basically those three things. (laughs) And what we do is we name a person within the theme or category that we set for that we would want to do each of those things with. So um, our category this time will be celebrities who are perfectionists. And Susan, because you are my guest, you get to go first. Yeah. So um, I really enjoyed doing this one because it made me kind of do some hunting and reading about celebrities that have been candid about their journeys with mental health especially perfectionism and how they have needed to capture that in a little bottle that they can live a healthy life, but still kind of be a high achiever and live out those goals that they have for themselves. And so I'll start with, um, my drink with, and I chose, um, Allie Raisman, who is the U S gymnastics, um, who has come out and said that, you know, perfectionism is something that she has, dealt with in a way, but also because I feel like everything that she does is perfect. And so I almost want to talk to her about how she feels about kind of herself and her drive and her goals of what she has done and what she has achieved, you know, especially considering records that she's broken that other women have not, or how young she is. Um, I would just love to kind of talk to her to see kind of what her life narrative is and kind of how she keeps that perfectionism in healthy check. I chose to travel with Lady Gaga. um, And she talks a lot about her, um, not only her obsessive compulsive disorder, but how that drive to be perfect at times has been disruptive to her creative projects where she's had to really ground herself in like reality of what is attainable and what is not, which is so interesting for me to hear because in my mind, I'm like, you're Lady Gaga. Like you are world known. Like, I don't know what is out there that is unattainable to you or unachievable. And so I feel like that would be a very human experience because maybe Lady Gaga also feels like not that confident in her cooking abilities, you know, or her cocktail making abilities. Mm-hmm. And so I chose to live with um, Serena Williams. And that is because every time I watch her on screen, I cannot stop. Or every time she scrolls across my Instagram or my Facebook, yeah. I am just captivated by her drive and how she communicates and such a beautiful example of, you know, black woman, but also black woman with child continuing, you know, athletic endeavors. And I think that is a beautiful encompassing of healthy perfectionism because I don't even have a critique to give Serena Williams. I know she probably has a million that she can give herself because we're all human at the end of the day, but those are all of my, 
I guess women at this point that definitely have been open about their perfectionism journeys. Yes. Well, and you know, what's funny is that as you were talking, I, especially when you were talking about Allie, I think about athletes and how most of the top athletes probably are perfectionists. You know, when you really think about it, because um, they are at the top of their fields and they got there some kind of way. And so having that hopefully adaptive perfectionism is what got them there because they have to have that drive, that growth mindset that we've talked about before. Um, so I'm going to start with my drink with because my drink with is the same as your lip, um, which they live with, Serena mm-hmm. Williams. Yes. Yes. I, I would love to drink with Serena Williams. I would love to be able to just talk to her about her journey. And she is like a premier athlete and she's doing that while also being a mother and a wife and you know and a spokesperson and you know all these other things that she's doing and she has a brand you know she has a sports brand so all of the uh, a clothing brands so all of these things that she's doing you know I would love to hear her talk about how she balances it yes no for sure um I said for my liquid Martha Stewart yeah. And she, of course, is like a, you know, visibly perfectionist person or perfectionist because perfectionist means person with perfection. Let's see if I edit that out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I just imagine that living with her, I would be in a beautiful space. Um, I value beauty and organization. That is something that I value highly. And it's something that I struggle with, with having two small children and then a third bonus son in the summer and a husband who all don't value that. So um, I would like to be in her space because I know that it would be comfortable. I know that it would be beautiful. And also she cooks. So you can't beat that. True. And she's friends with Snoop Dogg. So that, True. Would, be, <laughs> that would be a fun little dinner party. It would know? be. Yeah. And my final choice for travel with would be Beyonce. Yes. She came up on my list. I had her in my runner of contestants. <laughs> yes. Well, she's in a lot of my list and I, um, because she also turns 40 this year. Oh, wow. You need yeah. to have her on your podcast, DJ. Boy, if I could, if I ever, if I pulled that off, Lord help us. That would be, <laughs> I'll, that would be the end of the podcast. I'll be done. Like I've done. I've I actually reached out to Alicia Keys because Alicia Keys has this thing where she has given people her a phone number for her, and she sends you like little messages uh, every once in a while. And so I sent her a message saying happy birthday, and I turned forty this year too, and I would love to talk to you. And I haven't heard back. So, you know, all right. We'll just give a shout out to Beyonce right now. So hopefully this gets to her in some way. Exactly. But I I just think that we would, I would have a good time traveling with her, seeing the things that she sees. And she's a very private person. So I don't, I don't know what all we would do. You know, Mm -hmm. I know that she likes Jamaica a lot. She's like an honorary Jamaican. 
So that would be a lot of fun. And then seeing her with her children, because you don't get to see her with her younger two children as much as you see her with her uh, daughter, who I think is uh, close to the same age as my daughter. So that would be enjoyable too. I appreciate you for coming on my show again. And I hope to be able to talk to you again in the future. I really enjoy our chats and appreciate you letting me have a little bit of your time. Yeah, I, I was so appreciative that you reached back out to me. So anytime you need a little insight into the mental health world, I will gladly fill that role for you, TJ, because this is always a great way to start off our day and to kind of share with other people in both of our worlds. Definitely. Well, thank you. So I'm still looking for a job. <laughs> Some of the jobs that I've applied for have required me to complete performance tasks or to provide writing samples. And even though I have lesson plans saved and I have my blog pieces and pieces that I've written for classes, I still just feel this wave of anxiety when I have to get ready to create these things or freshen up something else. But I know that everything is going to be okay. That is the one thing that I'm taking away from this conversation. Although I may want a perfect outcome, if the outcome is not perfect, it's all right. The world does not stop spinning. I will be okay. And the job that God has for me will be provided for me at the moment when I need it. Right now, I should focus more on just getting out of this house <laughs> and getting into our new setup uh, with all of our things, with nothing broken, and with our kids uh, being able to move into that space healthy and happy. So for now, this almost 40-year-old is going to chunk up the deuces to being that perfect person that I have aspired to be, and I'm just going to be a person for the next few months. All right? Okay. You have a wonderful rest of your week, and I'll talk to you again soon.